In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. Evening, morning, and noon. I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Glory Glory be be to to the the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, Spirit, as it was in the beginning, beginning, is is now, now, and and will be forever. forever. Amen. Amen. Welcome to this week's edition of the Talk Podcast, as we look forward to uh, this coming Sunday, as well as, um, yeah, this coming Sunday. (laughs) Uh, as we look at the text for uh, Acts chapter 1, the 12 to 26, then also as we discuss a hymn later on here in the podcast. And uh, as the, we look forward to the Feast of the Ascension too, and, and as I think you pointed out, that this week's reading comes right, right after the, the story of the Ascension. Right, yeah. So, I mean, you know, by the time everyone hears this, we probably will have already, you know, uh, observed Ascension Day. Uh, so yeah, I mean, on Sunday then we'll be finding ourselves kind of, you know, uh, kind of living kind of with the disciples a little bit, uh, kind of experiencing kind of what they experienced as they, you know, had just experienced the Ascension of Christ in the heaven. And then uh, also now as they await that day of Pentecost, which we uh, on Sunday will be a week away from then at that point. And, you know, before we begin here, I, uh, we had discussed earlier just about the lectionary. I mean, especially for us, you know, we kind of, it seems like after a while, we just kind of, kind of live in the lectionary uh, from week to week, kind of living in that context. When it structures our time, it structures our time in the church here, but yeah, then we're always thinking about what's coming next and how does that fit in the time of the church? Right. Yeah. And that's, uh, especially now, you know, I am, uh, you know, uh, you know, for the listeners, uh, lucky you, you get to hear me three weeks in a row here um, with the podcast and for preaching. So, uh, you know, even like now I get even more of feel this as, uh, you know, living the lectionary. Well, a little, a little inside baseball. The reason for that is, is Pastor was trying to, to get uh, your opportunities to preach in there before you had to make those final wedding preparations yeah, that right, gets yeah. closer to July. So <laughs> yeah. that's part of the reason that Vicar is <laughs> preaching three three weeks in a row. And it gives me good practice. Yes. So, yes. so I guess with further without further ado, I guess we have, uh, I mean, it's a long text. I mean, there's a lot going on, I guess, may not in terms of uh, theology like we've done in the past, but just a lot of narrative going on here. Just a lot of, uh, like, a, a scene here to talk about. So oh, his, History. A lot of history, yeah. yeah. So I, at first, I'm just going to actually read a text from the verses that kind of precede what actually we're reading this week. So uh, this is Acts uh, 1, uh, 9 through 11. I'm just going to read these. This kind of gives us a feel for what we're being led into. And when he, Jesus, had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so, I mean, with this now, we get that the scene of Christ ascending into heaven. You know, right away we think of our stained glass window in the front of the church that has that scene. We see this every Sunday. Um, and like now just to think of the disciples 
you know, from their point of view, here they are gazing into the heavens, and I'm sure their minds were, their eyes were fixed on that for quite some time. And uh, it also talks about um, this being the same way that um, Jesus would return again, yeah. which makes such a nice bookend for the end of the church here, because as we yep. come up to as we come up to Pentecost and Trinity, we're at the end of what we call the festival half of the church year, where it talks about, you know, basically it's a retelling of the life of Jesus. And then we have the long season where it's, it's, it's not that. Um, but then at the end of that, we get the readings about the second coming of Christ. And so this, you know, it will yeah. return to that point at the end of the green season. Yeah, we got, can get into that fall season and we start kind of looking ahead more towards that, uh, kind of a new uh, new church year and the end of the church year. And, you know, when it comes to living the lectionary, mm -hmm. I guess, I mean, yeah, we do kind of base our time frame of life kind of off of that, at least uh, around the office here, the way that uh, we do things. And, yeah, like, that's a good point you make. That this may, may creates a good bookend, you know, that, you know, this time, you know, kind of the start of the ordinary season, I think is what we call it. Or what do we call it again? Well, some, some people do refer to it as yeah. the ordinary season. We typically... Uh, use the term Sundays to, num to number them, the Sundays after Pentecost, which, um, well, actually, we were talking about this in the hallway this last week. I don't like that system <laughs> because I think it, 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 it kind of skews uh, your sense of, well, what is Pentecost about? Well, that's 50 days after Easter. I mean, no. I, I think to use the term ordinary time in the sense of ordinal numbers, numbers, not that it's, it's boring. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just that you're you're using an ordinal system to count the Sundays rather yeah. than the festival half of the church year, um, which to me, it, it captures more what it's all about. Right. Yeah. You know, I think of this you know ordinal uh, you know, part that you use that word. I, yeah. I think of. I mean, eventually, what do we have? Like the 14th Sunday after Pentecost or, oh, it or whatever. Yeah. The it goes to yeah, the twenties. Yeah. The twenties actually. <laughs> I think by the end of the church year, it's twenty. 27, 28, 27, something like 28, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's just ordinal, not not ordinary as yeah. in, as in not very interesting. Yeah, right. Uh, but yeah, we were in that green season for quite a while, <laughs> both in summer with the leaves and also uh, uh, in the chancel. Uh, but anyway, uh, to kind of get back us back on track here. Um, so you know these verses I just read. You know, again, they're not part of what we're reading this week. Uh, now, if you're at the Ascension service, you know, you likely would, will hear this then. Um, but it, again, it kind of brings, leads us into kind of what we're going to be reading, you know, because this is kind of what we leave off with or left with is the disciples gazing into heaven in this message from the two messengers, you know, angels, you know, uh, you know speaking this word to them. And I mean, <laughs> if you were uh, an outsider looking at the disciples, I mean, just think of the the scene of the, of the disciples just kind of gazing up kind of into the sky and you know, this kind of an awe as to what they had just seen, you know, expecting probably to hear more of Jesus' words because he had just been speaking to them leading up to the ascension. So, I mean, they were probably waiting to hear, like, is he going to say something more here or, or what? Um, but I think, you know, soon they realized that, oh, I mean, he has been preparing us, I guess we've seen in the, the last few weeks in the readings, preparing us for that time when he would no longer be by our side. And now this time has come. I mean, he is uh, now going up to the Father like he had said he would, you know, where he would go to prepare a place for us, uh, so to speak. And 
And, uh, but how comforting it was, though, for those two angels to come and give them this message, that the same way you see Christ going up into heaven, he will come again. Mm -hmm. uh, he will come, away, uh, come again in that same fashion. Well, this imagery is very reminiscent of things you find in Revelation. And again, Revelation, it's the end of the Bible. It's a lot of imagery for end times. Um, I was also thinking about the reference to white robes. That's something we always hear on All Saints Day. You know, who are they in the white robes? You know, this, this imagery keeps returning again yeah. and again. Uh, you know, so in, in terms of the ascension, uh, kind of, I mean, this, where this took place geographically, uh, we're, we're looking at uh, the Mount of Olivet. Uh, you know, this took place uh, just outside of Jerusalem, about six miles outside of Jerusalem. Uh, it took me a little converting to do because I think uh, what I read, it said it was uh, so many stadias, I think it said. Um, which is uh, about 1,500 yards uh, per stadia. Okay, okay. This is Mount Olivet, not M the Mount of Olives. Yeah, Mount Olivet, yeah. Yeah, okay, which yeah. is a yeah, different place than the Mount yeah, of Olives. Yeah, different place, yeah. Which, yeah, you can see right across from the Kidron Valley as you're, as you're looking out over Jerusalem, but I don't think you'd be able to see see Mount Olivet from, you know, just gazing out from the Temple Mount. Uh, right. A little too far. Yeah, a little too far. Now, you've been to Jerusalem, right? Right, and that's okay. why I, I can just picture looking, this, out, yeah. Yeah, looking out over the valley, you can see Mount of Olives, but you can't, you can't see Mount Olivet. Okay. Um, but yeah, so this is where this took place. Um, you know, I guess just more of a trivia point here. You know, like I said, when I was reading on this, the, uh, again, I forget the exact number, but it, it said it was uh, so many stadias. I think if you think of it, like the word stadium comes from that. Uh, I think about the length of like a stadium field was about 1,500 feet. And that's, and that's the unit of measure? Yeah, that was your okay. unit of measure. Okay. At least that was used in the, in the commentary. And, but I did the, whatever amount it came out to be, it came to be about six miles. So um, this, uh, that's where this, the ascension took place. But, you know, the apostles, you know, they're, you know, standing there gazing up in the heaven. The, the angels come to them. And now they're ready to go back to Jerusalem. Uh, they're ready to go take their post and, uh, and wait uh, 10 more days now until Pentecost uh, before they would be uh, sent that ho promised Holy Spirit. That, and we just uh, heard that promise given this past Sunday in the reading from, what was that, chapter 17? I think they were in, yeah. No, John, I'm thinking of John, mm -hmm. John 14, yeah. Uh, we're kind of been going all over the place here with the, uh, kind of what accounts we're hearing this, all, all this from. But uh, the disciples then, this interval of time they're in now between Ascension and Pentecost, they don't waste their time. I mean, they're not just you know, sitting around you know, daydreaming and just waiting, but they you know, spend it in prayer and uh, you know, much uh, meditation. And, uh, like I said, just waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And uh, they had to get their businesses in order. If they're going to continue this ministry of the Lord, they have to get business in order. And, and that includes filling a vacancy, what we'll find out. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, with that, I think we should actually get into the text then. Mm -hmm. uh, Paul, would you be able to read verses, this again, this is Acts 1, 12 through 20 for this first section. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. 
And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man, Judas, bought a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Alkeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. Yeah, thank you. So uh, the, our first paragraph here, I mean, there's not a lot going on, and just kind of listing, uh, kind of introducing here, uh, kind of the scene, and uh, what had happened. Uh, so again, the apostles returned to Jerusalem from Mount Olivet, where the ascension took place. Um, again, it's about a Sabbath day journey away. And, uh, you know, they had entered and went up to the, back to the upper room where they had been before. Uh, we've uh, become familiar with this upper room uh, this last month, month and a half. Different accounts we've heard. Um, but, you know, we find they're not alone. I mean, it's not just them, but we also have the women uh, who are there, the women from Easter morning. Uh, the only one that is named is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And then... Uh, and then about 120 others. Then about 120 yeah. others, which, uh, I mean, yeah, it's not really told us who, I mean, all these 120 were, but they were likely the believers or those who professed Christ in Jerusalem at that time. Um, you know, and this, this is the total number, uh, I believe. I think it included, you know, um, the women and the disciples or the apostles as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a small group that was here. It was, uh, like we said, about 120 in all. And, you know. It's, it's hard to imagine that they might, may, have been, may have been all uh, crammed into one, one room. Maybe, right. maybe they were outside. Um, it, it's funny, when you, go to, when you go to these holy sites uh, in Jerusalem, there is, there is a, a place that they show you that they say, well, this is a room that probably was like the upper oh, room. Yeah, we don't yeah, know exactly where yeah. the upper room was, but my memory of that is, is that that would be very tight to very tight 100, 120 people in that room. But uh, again, there's certain sites, certain sites in the Holy Land in Jerusalem. We just don't know exactly where they were. We, there's close guesses, but yeah, um, yeah. Um, it's, it does help your imagination. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, they have buildings that are, you know, from that era and they know what kind of, the average building was then. Uh, I mean, like if you had an estimate, like about what size do you think a room like that would have been? My memory of it, it was it was probably about a about a thirty by thirty room. About thirty by thirty so that, room. About like the lounge here, maybe. Oh then? no, much or bigger than much that. Bigger than much that. bigger okay. than that. Okay, okay. But yeah, we see sometimes on Tuesday mornings how 
uh, how crowded just the lounge can get with 25 people. In. Yeah, so you wouldn't even fit uh, half of that in, in the lounge. So <laughs> no. Not comfortably anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so, you know, like I said, I mean, the apostles here, I mean, they, they go back, uh, they're in the upper room or amongst the 120, uh, wherever, you know, whether it was in the room or wherever they were. And uh, they have to get their business in order. They're going to carry on this ministry of the Lord. They have to uh, take care of business and get things in order. So this also includes having to fill a vacancy. And Peter must address this very important matter. And uh, so he takes the role of speaker here. And, but he doesn't do this in a sense to take you know, power and authority, but rather he's given consent by the group to kind of take lead of this and to kind of be the spokesman. Somebody has to do it. Yes. Somebody has to, yeah. <laughs> you have to have a, uh, like if it were a jury, you, you need a foreman, and, and he kind yeah. of has that function. Yeah, and uh, and we've seen that in other instances, too, where Peter does kind of take the lead here in things. And, uh, he probably had that personality where he just uh, was a leader uh, by nature. Well, and, and even though, you know, he had denied Jesus, and, you know, you think, if, you know, if that's your resume, for being the leader of the group, it's 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 not very flattering, but oh. but yet never nevertheless, um, upon Peter, you know the rock was the Peter, thou art the rock. Yeah, you know, his I'll, confession that he yeah. made that you are the Christ. You are yeah. the Christ. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll build my church uh, upon you. Yeah. So, so you know, be, uh, Peter then you know in our second paragraph that we read here, he begins his address to the people, and uh, he doesn't take much time. Uh, before he gets into giving a, a short description of Judas. And, uh, and then, uh, I, you know, if you're looking at this in your Bible, I think you likely will have a section in this uh, text that is in brackets. Uh, it's, uh, you know, listening is kind of hard to tell, but uh, Luke actually had to go and, uh, the author of Acts, actually had to go and add a little note just to expand a little bit on, the story of Judas, you know, kind of what took place. Uh, because, you know, many who are reading this, uh, this, uh, this letter that Luke wrote, or the Acts of the Apostles, had, uh, they were Gentile believers. It likely wouldn't have known you know, the whole story behind Judas. Uh, so we kind of get this description then, this full description of Judas uh, from Luke. And... Uh, the, and in this, you know, Luke says that the scripture had to be fulfilled. Actually, Peter said that portion. You know, and what scripture? What scripture had to be fulfilled? That's Psalm 41, verse 9, uh, where, uh, where the psalmist, he says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. And there we have uh, that uh, pointing ahead to Judas. I mean, how he would betray the Christ, uh, Christ and um, and we all know that story of Judas. Uh, you know, he went to go get the guards to, and the you know, chiefs and uh, so forth to bring them to where Jesus was in the garden and uh, you know, you know, paid them off to you know, go and arrest him. And, um, and, uh, we all know that story. And yeah, and that prophecy, it wasn't just in the Old Testament. I mean, even leading the events of Holy Week, leading right up to it, he said, you know, one of you will betray me. I mean, yeah. he, he, he knew it was going to happen. Yeah, he knew it was going to happen, and he was very well aware of the prophecies as well. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean Jesus being 
I mean, yes, fully man, but also fully God knew this. He knew, he knew it was going to be. And I think uh, one of the gospel accounts, doesn't Judas actually get up and leave? There's actually more of a reference to Judas, I think, one of the accounts. Okay. Uh, don't, don't hold me to that. Uh, uh, listeners can go and uh, uh, read the different accounts uh, of that upper room uh, narrative, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, so Judas, yeah, he would be that close friend who would betray the Lord. And um, so and then we also get elsewhere kind of the story of, you know, Judas, you know, after he did this terrible deed, I mean, eventually that guilt got to him. Uh, so that money that well, actually that he had been given uh, to be able to lead them uh, to Jesus, uh, he actually brings back to the temple to give back to the priests, but they wouldn't accept the money back. Uh, so uh, Judas, leaving the temple, ends up throwing the money onto the floor of the temple. And then the, the priests then, um, they actually uh, take that money and then go buy a field uh, out of that. Uh, which then, in a sense, I mean, they didn't, this money was still Judas's in their eyes. So in a sense, Judas is buying this field. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then that's where we get now this, uh, you know, the scene of uh, the suicide of Judas then. It takes place out in that field. Uh, it's got, came to be known as Ekeldema. Uh, um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I, I can't think of much more, I guess, that, that would need to be dwelt on when it comes to Judas, I guess. Uh, I mean, just, uh, again, Peter's, just, uh, or uh, Luke, I forget what uh, section, whether this is in the brackets or not. Yeah, no, that, that's more uh, Luke's uh, uh, additional note uh, where this is described. Uh, you, you know, he, and it mentioned that, you know, this may his camp become desolate. Well, that, that area would, uh, would eventually become desolate. Uh, I, I think, uh, was it that portion of uh, Judea? believe. So then, you know, we have this unfortunate vacancy now. We're down from 12 to 11 apostles. Uh, you know, what, what are they to do with this? You know, how are they uh, to uh, continue on? Well, Peter gets into this now in this uh, next section. Uh, and we have, the, have this in uh, verse 21 through 26. Uh, would you be able to read that for us? So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Yeah, so we have here, you know, they're, uh, you know they've uh, um, identified that, okay, we must fill this spot that Judas unfortunately left. Uh, you'll notice how many times um, that um, Peter keeps referencing Judas again, just kind of you know, cutting to the, the kind of reality as to what had happened and what he had done. Um, you know, and even just saying to the point that, you know, Judas, 
you know, turned aside to go to his own place. Um, well, it's an awfully nice way of saying that he, yeah, he, he bailed out and, and became a defector and, and turned against them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he got what he deserved, <laughs> I guess, yeah. Uh, and well, anyway, uh, so Peter, you know, suggests to the group, and they accepted this suggestion, uh, you know, that, you know they, that they choose, you know, from a disciple or a follower. So that's the distinction to make here. So we have the, the 11 apostles, the original disciples, but then we also have just the disciples, the followers now of Jesus. Um, so, um, you know, for example, I mean, the 120, you know, as believers, we are disciples, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, followers uh, or students uh, is another translation. But uh, so there's kind of a distinction here between the apostles and then the disciples as well. But anyway, uh, so Peter's suggestion and his qualifications he lays out for them, you know, uh, was to pick someone who had been along their side from the beginning. You know, that time that, that John was baptizing, you know, three years earlier, to the Lord's ascension. You know, someone that who had, you know, seen all of what had happened. And, uh, and then most importantly, you know, whoever they choose must be a thoroughly competent witness of the resurrection of Christ. Um, yeah, I guess you think of, like, now one of our qualifications for an overseer, you must not be a recent convert. Uh, you know, I suppose they didn't want someone who didn't even, you know, know what happened with the resurrection. Mm-hmm. But they wanted someone who had been there through all this. But yeah, and it gives them credibility. I think, yeah. especially in these first, you know, these first decades after all these events, I, I think you want to be able to say, yeah, I, I was there. I, I can attest to this. Right. Yeah. And uh, you know, then especially as you know, uh, you know, later on we get more the era of Paul and everything. You know, they were able to. And build up to that time frame. But uh, so now uh, there are two chosen, uh, Joseph Barsabbas, and then who's also called Justice, uh, but then Matthias. And uh, these two are likely, but the only two that met those qualifications that, that Peter had uh, laid out before them. At least they had two to choose from. Yeah, at least they had some, <laughs> something to choose from, yeah. <laughs> It wasn't, uh, okay, here's one, or fill in the, uh, the, the candidate's name, whatever you want, yeah. Um, well, it says they, they put forward two. I mean, maybe there were some others. There could have been but, more. Uh, but yeah. uh, they, they certainly had uh, shaken the bushes enough to find a greater number. Yeah. Right, yeah. I'm sure they were probably confident in that these two would be fitting, you know, of those qualifications that Peter gave. Um, so then we get, you know, uh, the, are given this description of kind of this process they went through, you know, casting lots. Now, we don't know exactly what this would have looked like, but it likely was modeled after uh, kind of what is uh, in the Old Testament. And uh, actually, uh, uh, pulled this from uh, another uh, commentator here, that they said that tablets on which the names of Joseph and Matthias were written were employed, or um, I guess handed out or something. You know, then these were shaken in the vase or vessel in which they had been deposited, and the lot which first fell out furnished the decision. Well, I'm, I'm trying to think of a modern equivalent to that. Well, to me, it sounds like like shaking dice in a in a cup. <laughs> yeah, know? right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, shaking dice in a cup, or maybe uh, putting something in a hat. And I don't know. That's kind of what well, came to my mind a little bit, yeah. but something like to that extent. And 
So yeah, and you know, this, this lot, it fell on Matthias, and that's uh, Matthias is who they chose to uh, fill this vacancy of, of Judas and who would uh, you know, fill that spot that in apostleship, which Judas had turned aside and uh, left empty. So yeah, they, they select Matthias, and you know, we had talked at the beginning and how you know, this interval of time between the Ascension and Pentecost, how the disciples didn't waste it, you know, that they spent, you know, much of the time in prayer. You know, so after, you know, they select Matthias to take the place of Judas, uh, you know, they, they say a prayer. I mean, they lay this decision in the Lord's hands. Uh, you know, as, I mean, not merely just from their uh, wisdom as to who they thought it would be, but they, they lay, I mean, I mean uh, well, I'll just say what they say. You know, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go his own way. And, you know, so there, they're laying everything, you know, this decision they were going to make into the Lord's hands that, you know, you, you can guide us into making the right decision. Uh, and, uh, I mean, doesn't that just model how we are as a church? And, I mean, uh, when we have things that we vote on or whatever, we lay it in the Lord's hands and, uh, you know, let him, we commend it into the Lord's hands, I guess, to use Lutheran language. Well, and yeah, and, and I think when you're uh, making important decisions like this, it's always so appropriate to couch it in that way that, you know, may the, may the Holy Spirit work through us and help us, yeah. you know, see what, what you have planned. Yeah, yeah. To give us the wisdom to mm -hmm. be able to um, know what uh, he wills. So, uh, I guess that's all we have for the, the reading, um, unless there's something I'm missing. No, other than, again, it's, it's, it's a lot of history, but I think it's yeah. important history. It's important history, it, yeah. It places, a, it places us in the context of, so of really, where, where we are liturgically and within the church here. And yeah. um, um, I know, you know, for you as a, as a, as a preacher, there's not as much there when you're looking for a gospel message, but but we saw a lot of that in the epistles and the and, yep. the, and the gospels. But we've we've moved into this phase now of studying the the first readings, mm -hmm. which for this Easter season have all come out of the book of Acts, and then going forward they'll be out of the Old Testament. So it's going to continue on that on that path where we yep. get more history than than gospel. But right, uh, yeah. Um, I think whoever. Uh, I happen to be talking with on that day, whether it's you or pastor, there's ample opportunities to fill in the gospel message. Oh, it's ample that, opportunities. Look yeah. at the other pericopes for that week and fill in the blanks with it. So uh, with that said, what do we have for a hymn this week, Paul? The hymn I chose is, is one that I think fits nicely in this slot uh, post-ascension, but still we're in the Easter season, and that one is... Uh, number 532 in the Lutheran service book, the head that once was crowned with thorns. And when I went to the essay that, that uh, was provided in the companion, um, they said that, well, this hymn is frequently sung for ascension, but yet they did not put it in the ascension section of the hymnal, which I thought was very amusing. Uh, I, I definitely hear it uh, with those overtones to it. Well, just the just the the title itself the head that once with crown the head well the first line i should say the head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now mm -hmm. it just really speaks 
it's a, it's a wonderful summary of where we are in the church here. We've already been through these long, or through six weeks, and Christ has ascended. He's, he's at the right hand of God. And so to me, it's, it's a perfect fit for that time of, of the year. It's also a, just a, a very good summary of, of everything that's happened, this complete paradox that here's somebody who was tortured and crucified, yet this is the person that has made the king and who has ascended to the right hand uh, of God. It's just a complete paradox. That's right there in that first line. And then it's also brought back very neatly at the end of the hymn in the sixth stanza. The cross he bore is life and health, though shame and death to him. That this awful instrument of torture should be the symbol that we hold up of, of our life and salvation. And um, it's the equivalent of, at the beginning, it talks about a crown of thorns. To me, to me, that's the equivalent there. There's the crown of thorns mentioned at the beginning, and then at the end, it's the mention of the cross, that those, those are equal in terms of the paradox of what's, what's happened here. The inspiration for the hymn, the, the author, by the way, is, is Thomas Kelly, who was um, uh, an, Irish, an Irish priest. Uh, some referred to him as the Irish Isaac Watts. And by that means he, he's the equivalent of Isaac Watts, who had brought hymnody kind of out of the uh, realm of just using psalm paraphrases into uh, uh, a prose, a more Christological uh, type of prose for hymns. He was the English version, and then uh, Kelly was referred to as the Irish version of that, the Irish uh, Isaac Watts. Um, his inspiration was Hebrews uh, 2.10, and then also a poem that uh, that um, let's see, yeah, yeah. The, the poem was called uh, uh, "Serious Meditations Upon the Four Lasting Things: Death, Judgment, Heaven, and Hell." Kind of, kind of heavy duty. Kind you know, of heavy, it, yeah. When you when you think about it, it was a poem from about 1665. And, and the first stanza is almost literally a quote, quotation right out of that poem. But it's, it's the weightiness, it reflects the weightiness of what happened here, the weightiness of the story, the importance of the story, the meaning of Christ's suffering, uh, the meaning of what it means for our, our death, uh, the judgment, and, and heaven and hell, and our relationship uh, to, to those things. And so that was his inspiration, uh, Thomas Kelly, the author. He wrote about 750 hymns altogether. And um, his own background was is that his father was a lawyer, and he was on that track as well. He studied law. And then later in life began to study Hebrew. And I think this getting into Hebrew and studying theology a little bit more made him ponder theological questions a lot more. And he became an ascetic, and, and uh, through that, through that self-discipline, um, kind of followed that same path that Luther did, that, that, okay. that, that he felt like he needed to deny himself and suffer to uh, warrant being justified. Mm -hmm. 
and then eventually came to the conclusion, no, we're, we're justified by grace. And so followed kind of a similar path as Luther. Where he differed was he was, uh, went on more of a, an evangelical path. Luther kind of retained you know, a lot of the trappings of the, the church, but, but, but Kelly was more somebody who wanted to you know, throw, throw them off and maybe wasn't quite as traditional, but certainly came to that same important realization that we are justified uh, by, by grace uh, through faith. And um, some of those followers, uh, or what, what this also led to is he, he left the Church of Ireland, and those that followed him were known as Kellyites. No, no big surprise there. So it did, it did result in there being like this small sect that, that, that followed him. We have two of his texts in our hymnal. There's, there's this one, and the other one uh, is, a, um, uh, is a, a penitential hymn. Um, which the, the title of which is escaping me right now. Um, uh, part of it, part of the title is, is God would not have the sinner dead. It's, it's about um, uh, uh, confession and it's found in the confession okay. section of the hymnal. The composer of the music was Jeremiah Clark. And um, he was an important connection between uh, Henry Purcell and George Frederick Handel kind of bridged that time there in the, in the middle Baroque period. And if you know Jeremiah Clark, um, any of his music, it's probably the famous uh, uh, Prince of Denmark's March, which is used at weddings. It's used as a recessional at weddings. Um, I don't know if that's the choice for your wedding, wedding recessional or not, but it's the famous trumpet tune that, that's heard typically at the end. Well, it's either at the beginning or the end of weddings. And what's the name of it? Uh, it's it's a, called the Prince of Prince of Denmark's March. Okay, I don't, okay, I'm not familiar with that one. I'm, I'm sure I've heard it, but yeah. I'm sure you have. Yeah, yeah, sure you yeah. have. Um, And and he was a, a prominent musician in London, occupying some of the most important musical posts there, okay. including actually being the uh, the musician at St Paul's in London, which is the the, the mm. prominent church there in London. He also wrote a lot of service music and anthems. The, the tune that, that it's paired to is um, a tune called St. Magnus, and the, and the name of that tune comes from the church in London, a church named St. Saint, Saint Magnus. So um, for today, um, I'm going to propose that we sing, um, why don't we sing stanzas one and six uh, that, that'll give us kind of a nice, nice rounded form there. Um, before we do that, uh, I just wanted to note that stanza five talks about the suffering with the Lord be below. So even though um, it, 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 it's focusing on this paradox of Christ and, and his suffering, it also kind of addresses some of the way uh, Paul talks about suffering in the epistles too, that Suffering is yeah, part of following, following mm -hmm. as a Christian, and that yeah. it's, it's going to be an, a necessary part of our being disciples. Yeah, because I know Paul starts the epistle with, you know, not to be surprised at the fiery trials. Right. When they come upon you to test you. They're given. They're given. They're, yeah. they're going to be yeah. part of our walk as yeah. Christians. Uh, but yet stanza three um, shines a brighter light on that. The joy of all who dwell above, the joy of all below. And to me, that mm -hmm. that pulls in this idea of the saints, mm -hmm. both, both here 
and, and in times before, you know, in all times and places. And so it, it, it's really a well-formed piece of poetry, mm -hmm. the, the, the hymn. Very, what's very unusual about this, this hymn is that when Kelly uh, wrote it in, the, in 1820, the form we have in our hymnal has no alterations to it whatsoever. Now that is a true rarity. Usually there's, there's maybe archaic language yep. in it. Um, these are the eyes that get changed to use and yours, or maybe there's just uh, an irregular verb or, or a, a very archaic word that we just don't use anymore. Mm. This, this, this is as it was written. This is as it was written, and, and that's extremely rare. Usually there's something that's changed uh, yep. just because our modern ears don't, don't hear it or appreciate it. So in that way, mm. it, it, it speaks to the quality of, of, of Kelly's poetry yeah. that he wrote with, with, in a language that was very accessible and not just accessible to 18th century ears, but almost two centuries later, mm. here we are and, and we're still singing it in the same way. I think that's, it's very exceptional and quite remarkable. For sure. So let's sing stanzas, stanzas one and six. The head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now. A royal diadem adorns the mighty victor's brow. The cross he bore his life and health, though shame and death to him. His people's hope, his people's wealth, their everlasting theme. So I can't help but notice in that first stanza, uh, the, the first line, you know, the head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now. I mean, and how that is kind of a, a nod to this realization of, and this reality of Christ ascending into heaven, and where he is, you know, now crowned with glory, seated at the right hand of the Father upon that heavenly throne. Right, it places it in, in liturgical time just, yeah. just just so well, and that's, does, that's yeah. where we are. We're, yeah. we're immediately after the, the ascension. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I just want to make a note here before we uh, end with our prayers that um, I'm uh, normally we do the, the I believe the, yeah, normally you do the litany, Lord's Prayer, then have a closing collect. Uh, I'm actually going to, uh, in addition to that, I'm going to pray the two collects of the day for both Ascension Day and uh, for Sunday. And for Easter 7. For Easter 7. Uh, and just, I'm going to explain these. Uh, you can maybe listen to them both as we pray them. That the first one for Ascension Day, you know, it talks about, you know, our Lord Jesus Christ ascended into the heavens. Well, we come back then, so that's Thursday. Mm -hmm. We come back to the church on, on Sunday. And yes, we, we make that uh, confirmation that yes, you know, our, our Lord Jesus, the King of Kings, Lord of Hosts, you know, is uplifted in triumph far above all heavens. Uh, so that's why I'm adding those in, just because, again, that time of liturgical year we're in. Then we can get, you know, should uh, you not be able to make it to the uh, Ascension Day service, you get to hear that collect and get to hear what we pray on Thursday evening. 
And the collects, if you're not familiar with that term or, or you know, how that, that functions within the liturgy, they, the point of them is, and, and they appear early in the service mm -hmm. usually, is to kind of say, here's our theme for the day. Yeah, yeah. Pull out the central theme for the day. Uh, and then off we go into the readings uh, after yeah. that usually. Yeah, right and, after that. And, yeah. and to kind of flesh that idea out. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's uh, 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 continue with our, our litany. O Lord, have mercy upon us. O Christ, have mercy upon us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Our Father, Father who, who art in heaven, heaven hallowed be thy name. name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Almighty God, as your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, ascended into the heavens, so may we also ascend in heart and mind and continually dwell there with him, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. O King of glory, Lord of hosts, uplifted in triumph far above all heavens. Leave us not without consolation, but send us the Spirit of truth, whom you promised from the Father. For you live and reign with him in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit into our hearts to direct and rule as according to your will, to comfort us in all our afflictions, to defend us from all error, and to lead us into all truth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Please join us for worship this weekend. Our worship opportunities are at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday, and on Mondays at 6.30 p.m.